everybody, it's Bill Courtney again with an Army of Normal Folks. Let's continue with part two of our conversation with Officer Tommy Norman right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's an overused phrase, but everybody talks about how we got to get into, quote, community policing. You don't need programs for community policing. You don't need you don't need a whole bunch of federal money for community policing. 
You just need a heart and have the will and the effort to get out of your car and walk around in the community that you're policing and build relationships. And I mean, that sounds to me like that's exactly what you do. And not just me, but there's officers all across the United States that do great work um, just because they care about people. And some of my closest friends are doing great work in other communities outside of where I work. Community policing, that term is used pretty loosely, in my opinion. Um, Good. Explain that. Straighten me out. What is community policing to to people that are listening? Um, Is community policing driving up and down the street for eight hours with your windows rolled up and disengaging from the community? No. Community policing is not just a wave. Early in my career, I thought a wave and a honk was community policing. Did you do that? A I did. Bit? Oh, the guys that so, I hey, with, hey, hey, yeah, I'm a nice guy. And, and beep beep. The guys shoot, uh, the, shoot a hand out there. Yeah, that's it. And you'd probably get a wave back. And yeah, then they as would, you passed on by, they'd be like, "Screw that guy." Yes. So he's a, a honk, cop. A honk and a wave. Okay, I'm making a difference. Not really. Park that police car. And this is what happened when I started getting out and 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 meeting families. Is if three three steps. If you can make it onto someone's front lawn, that's a, your front lawn is probably sacred. My front lawn is pretty sacred. I'm on their front lawn. They're okay with it. Next step is make it onto their front porch. You're sitting on their front porch, even more of a sacred area. And you get invited into their living room and their kitchen for lunch or breakfast or dinner as a police officer. On shift? On shift. I've Are had you some me? good candied yams, some, <laughs> some Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, a Coke Zero, which is my drink of choice, and so, and so hold it. You, you, you on shift, you would develop enough relationships where they'd say, "Come in and have lunch with me." Yeah, and how many? If you see a police officer walking into a house, yeah, there's something gonna. Uh, uh-uh, uh. You're not getting ready to sit down and have a big plate of food. That's right. You're usually getting ready to walk out with someone in handcuffs. But now, like I said, front yard first, baby steps, front porch, and then come on in. Your family now. We're going to feed you. I mean, what does that do to your heart? Uh, it, my heart wants to explode, but that makes my job easier because if you have a police officer, a group of officers that's assigned to your neighborhood and they're now your family, you probably want to think twice before you break the law. And if someone is acting a fool, you're not afraid to tell the police anymore. Absolutely. The guy in 2005, that's, that's a, a massive example, but then if you have a homicide, a shooting, guess who they're going to come to first? They're going to come to that officer that they trust now. That makes complete <laughs> sense. My my lumber yard sits in North Memphis, which is rough. North Memphis is a very, very, very rough area. Um, lots of poverty, lots of hopelessness. Um, a lot of people have done a lot of work here to try to make it better. And it is better now than it was 20 years ago, but it's still rough. Um, in 68, April 4th, 1968, um, Memphis was a thriving city. Well, I think it was one of the largest 15 cities in the country back then. And people today would not think that, but it was. But on April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was shot and killed here. And when he was shot and killed here, there was looting and rioting. Um, North Memphis was particularly hit hard um, from the looting and rioting. It was once a really, really, really proud blue-collar 
uh, largely African-American community. And Firestone was here, a huge Firestone plant, a 50-acre Firestone plant, Caterpillar, uh, International Harvester had a huge plant here, uh, DuPont. And through the uh, last couple years of the 60s and early 70s, because of all of the racial tension as a result of that, those corporations left. And what it left was a community with a food desert, not many jobs. And from the 70s until now, it's just continued to generationally dilapidate. And you know what comes along with that. So that's what North Memphis is, where my business sits. And this is really, this did not happen long ago, just a few weeks ago. There was a, uh, a murder on a block less than a mile from here. Police state, I'm not exaggerating when I say there were 15 squad cars out there. There was a fire truck, an ambulance, the CSI van was there, and it's right on the main drag of Danny Thomas. And so you could see it and drove by and saw there and thought, you know, another senseless murder. And then on the way back, the crime tape that was on that block had moved. That that was still there, but then there was another 10 or 15 police cars on the next block with crime tape and the whole scene. It's like they just imprinted it one block over, and I saw a, a guy I knew from the neighborhood, and I pulled over. I said, what happened? And they said, well, this guy, he named him. I'm not going to name him. Shot this guy. So, I mean, the people in the community knew the name of the shooter, and knew the name of the guy that was shot. And in 45 minutes, while all these police are here one block away, the guy who shot the first guy got shot. And he was laying in the street. Wow. And that guy ran away. And I'm talking cops were 100 yards away. And that guy was now missing. And everybody I was talking to knew who was shot, the first shooter, the first shooter's name and who shot him. And you know who didn't know any of that and probably will never? The 30 cops that were there because nobody in the community was willing to talk to him. And I, I always thought, I, I've thought, you know, that second murder might not have ever happened had the community trusted the cops enough to tell them what was going on. And I'm telling you, the whole neighborhood knew who shot. I mean, the old saying, who shot John? They knew. But it wasn't anybody going to talk to the police about it and it's because of what you're talking about they just don't trust the police and i'm sitting here hearing you thinking about if the, if the if the police on this beat had developed a relationship with the people in the neighborhood and it sit at their kitchen tables having lunch you know that's someone you would say hey man this is what happened and you you need to get after it before it gets any worse or something like that. I mean, community policing really would work. Yeah, but community policing also, as I mentioned before, is coming back. You I can't stress this enough for people out there listening, is that if you're if you're going to step onto a front line, that doesn't need to be the first and only time someone sees you. You've got to keep that commitment. There was a family of three kids raised by their mom and their grandmother. I, I got close to them, I found out during getting to know this family, they love CC's pizza. They love CC's pizza. CC's pizza. Right. So I remember I spent nothing wrong with CC's. No, pizza. no, nothing at all. <laughs> We've got one back home. Yeah. So I set a day while I was off and was going to go uh, with permission from the family take these kids out to eat. 
I show up. I'm excited because this is one of the first families that I came in, in contact with that actually trusted me outside of the uniform. Knock on the door. Grandma answers the door. I'm here to take the kids to CC's Pizza. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Were you on shift? No, I was off duty. Off duty. Off duty in civilian clothes. Did they know you were coming? Oh, I knew I was coming. Yeah. I'm here to take the kids to CC's Pizza. None of the kids were ready. Two kids are still sleeping. One of them playing video games on the couch. And the grandma says, Officer Norman, they did not believe you were coming. So that told me right there, I've got more work to do. Too many kids, too many families, too many communities have been given all these promises. These police officers coming into your neighborhood, selling you a dream, but they don't come back. You gotta come back. Brother, <laughs> it is now time for me to invoke the turkey person story. Because what you're saying is exactly the truth, which is my first year at Manassas, now, when I showed up to Manassas, their previous 10 years record was four wins and 96 losses. Wow. Yeah, that's a wow. That's slaw. That's, I mean, you cannot be, I guess you could be worse, but not much worse, right? And there were only 17 kids on the football team. And I mean, they were terrible. And halfway through my first season, we were three and three. And now I think three and three is average, but when you come from four and 96, three and three is pretty good. And so, all the kids were buying into the football stuff. Um, yes or no, sir, to me on the field. Uh, listen to what I had to say. Doing what I told them to do to execute and win in football games. When I got to Manassas, it became really apparent to me that I was not going to just coach football, but I was going to have to coach character, commitment, integrity, the value of being on time, all those basic fundamentals and tenets that, well, that your mom taught you. You know, that you'd get laced up by the belt if you didn't do, you know, being respectful to teachers, doing your homework, just basic core values that were largely absent. And so I started teaching and coaching that too, as well as football. Well, halfway through the season, we're three and three. And while the kids are yes or no, sir, 100% all in respectful with the football stuff, half the team was buying into the important stuff. The other half the team, the minute football was over, they were back in the streets engaging in the same kind of destructive behavior that got them to four wins and 96 losses in the first place. And, and it was driving me crazy. So I went to my guy and I said, Bobo, what do I got to do to get that half the team to buy in the important stuff like you're half the team? Uh, you know, everybody's being respectful on the football field, but the football secondary is just other stuff that's going to matter in your life. And Half the your half the team's buying in, and I appreciate that. But the other half the team, they're just not buying in. And Bobo looked at me and said, "Coach, I don't want to hurt your feelings." And I said, "Bobo, I'm a grown ass man, grew up fat and redheaded, and uh, there's not much you can say to me that that can that can hurt my feelings. I've been through that plenty." And he said, "Real talk," and I said, "Yeah, straight talk. I need to understand." why that half the team is not buying into the important stuff like you're half the team. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Coach, you're trying to figure out if you're a turkey person or not. And I mean, I got to tell you something, Tommy. I bet you learned a lot of vernacular the first year on your beat that you had not heard or known in your life. Well, so would I at Manassas. A lot of terms of vernacular and stuff I still use today that I find hilarious but I had not learned what turkey person meant. And I looked at Bobo and I said, Bobo, you know, 
what are you talking about? And he said, Coach, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, people from where you live pull up into our neighborhoods and they got gifts and hams and turkeys and we take them because we ain't got none. But then they leave and we never see them again. And it makes you wonder if they're doing that because they really care about us or they're doing that to make themselves feel good. And he looked me dead in the eyes. He said, Coach, what the hell are you doing down here, man? And when I hear you say you showed up to those kids' door to take them to CC's, their favorite place to go, which they would be jumping up and down crazy for the opportunity to go to CC's Pizza, and they weren't even dressed because they didn't believe you were coming back. What people need to understand when they're listening to this conversation with us is that your response, your experience with the CC's Pizza and my experience with the turkey person is that after generation and generation of being told things and let down, people in these neighborhoods do not expect people to come back. They do not expect people to show up. And they are so conditioned to uh, to a lack of commitment. They are so conditioned to a lack of care and love that it's just normal to be let down. And if it in parts of our society becomes normal for children to be let down by adults, why in the hell would we think that they would have any respect for them? None at all. Um, that that CC's Pizza story, we we did go to CC's Pizza. Yeah, they got dressed because you were there. Yeah, they right. saw, okay, he's and, here. And that was um, a highlight, not just of their day, but I think of their young life that Number one, he's not here in his police car. He's not in his uniform. No cameras here. No cameras. There ain't nobody doing this to nobody. There's you're no, not doing it to to shed light on what a great guy you are. Yes, exactly. And it, it was just a, it was a trip to CC's. We had fun and, and you know, went back home. And Grandma and Mom says thank you. And so that broke down that barrier. Okay, first of all, they don't think I'm coming. We're not going to get up and get ready. He's, he's not going to show up, but... Yeah, because you're just like everybody else who makes empty promises. But... That's what they're thinking, right. is what I'm saying. And and I can't stress enough that you don't have to be a Bill Courtney or a Tommy Norman to go out and make a difference in your community. You can work at Kroger's or you can work show at McDonald's. Show up and be yeah. consistent. Exactly. And if you're just mentoring one kid, you're changing the world, right? It takes all of us, right? You and I can't change this world, but but... As you said, an army of normal folks going out and just giving of their time and their heart, it can happen. I mean, I've seen it happen in North Little Rock, Arkansas. We'll be right back. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery, but that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which is morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. 
Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. (laughs) But it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, it's, I, I go back to work in the morning, have to be at briefing at 545. Uh, I'll go get my coffee and I will go into the neighborhoods and I'll every day. How many years on the force? 25. And 25 years and you still got out of your car and walked. Yes. I love it. I love it. Tell me, you have got to have had after 25 years of, of your uh, career. I can't believe other police departments hadn't called you up and offered you promotions and jobs. And I mean, have that, has that, have those opportunities come along? There, there have been opportunities from, um, you know, maybe people not even in the state of Arkansas that, you know, maybe come here and, and I've traveled and spoke right now. There's if, if someone asked me back home once, is there a Tommy Norman method of policing? And I give two answers. Commitment. Um, commitment and respect. I mean, you have to stay committed to the community and you also have to respect the community. Right. Respected as a person, not just as a police officer. But I don't want to leave North Little Rock. I, I, and I don't want to get promoted. I don't want to. I, I don't. I don't want to test to be promoted. Or I don't want to transfer to work in the courthouse, to work as a desk officer. My calling, and it has been since I was about you fifteen years old. Beat. I want to be in that neighborhood. This may sound a little odd, Coach, but being in those neighborhoods makes me feel safe because I know that community has my back. I don't go into these communities scared. Now, what I want. 
Do you? That's interesting. What you just said. That that I, we we got to go there for a second. You just said I don't go into these communities scared. Are you telling me that behind that big badge and the Kevlar vest and the gun and the cruiser and everything else, there's cops every day that go into the communities that they're there to police and they're scared? Absolutely. I think that white police officers that maybe have never interacted with a person of color, you need to get out of your car and find out about that person's heritage. But you're telling me they're scared. I think some police officers may be scared, but why are you scared? Why are these Because you don't know the people you're policing. You don't know the community. I, I, I get it. Yes. But the point is, isn't that interesting that the community scared the death of the cops and the cops are scared of the community? Now, how in the hell are they supposed to interact and protect and serve one another? And what you're saying is you don't go into the community scared because you're part of the community. You, I couldn't have said it any better, Coach. I couldn't have said it any better. But once again, it doesn't happen overnight. Any police officers out there listening to this are just public servants or just your everyday ordinary citizen. Get out and get to know people, people that don't look like you, people that maybe don't have as much as you have, people that have not been given a voice in life. Be that voice for that person. Help that person establish their own platform. But like I said, I go back to work and I'm back in these neighborhoods and I interact with these people and we're family. I mean, are there times, and this is a question I get asked a lot, is do you arrest people? I do. I do. I do. Of course you do. Of you course. Have a job right, do. right. I mean, you don't see that on social media. I, but I have a question. Yes. Have you ever arrested? 25 years, you've seen a generation of children grow up and are on your second generation. Have you ever had to arrest a kid that you tried to mentor and love on in the streets? Absolutely. I remember. How hard is that? It, it was actually, this was not an arrest, but it was a young man. His nickname was Tupac. That what? Tupac was his nickname. Tupac, yes. as in like the Tupac Shakur guy. I, I believe so. Okay. So when he was young, five and six years old, uh, his mom would call me, Officer Norman, Tupac's up, he wants to see you. So I'd come by his house, we'd hang out and give him a police sticker. Fast forward 10 years later. He's um, 15, 16. 15, now. 16. I remember driving down the street and Tupac's walking with two of his friends and he sees me coming and he spits on the ground. That is... Um, known as, as um, a sign of disrespect to police officers. If you see a police officer coming, you spit on the ground. Now, this is a kid 10 years before that loved Officer Norman. I remember I even came to one of his birthday parties. Um, and then I didn't always keep in the contact with him. I'd seen some. But when I passed by Tupac and he spit on the ground and his you friends are laughing, man. And then a few years later, he, he got killed in a shootout at, at a convenience store. And, and it just, I tell that story about Tupac because what have I done wrong? In these 10 years, there's more work you could do. There's more work I could do. There's more work everyone could do. But that bothered me for days. Why do you think he spit? I think that we lost contact and his devotion was then to the streets. And if you're walking with your friends and you, you gotta speak show that. to an officer, oh, no. Maybe if, he's walk maybe if he's walking by himself, there's a chance that he's going to acknowledge me, but not that day. And that goes to show that even with the biggest heart that people have, you, you, you can't save everyone, but 
I didn't give up. It bothered me. And, I, and I'm looking through my rearview mirror and they're you know, giggling and laughing. I'm thinking, but 10 years ago, Tupac, you, you, you love me. There's a thing called the Ben Franklin close in sales. And what it is, is if I'm selling you something, Tommy, I take this piece of paper and I draw a line vertically right down the middle of it. And then across the top, I draw a line horizontally across the top. And then on the left column, I create pluses. On the right column, I create minuses. And any decision I make, every good thing that comes that decision, I list them here. Any decision I make, any negative things that come from that decision, I list them here. And if the positives outweigh the negatives, we do it. And if the negatives outweigh the positives, we don't do it. Mm. It's a thing Ben Franklin used to use, believe it or not, back in the day. And that's why it's called the Ben Franklin Close. That doesn't work in North Little Rock when you're a cop. That doesn't work in Manassas High School when you're a football coach because when you go into desperate poverty-stricken areas, you have to understand there's going to be a significant amount of minuses. But every positive on the left side of that ledger is a win because they probably would have happened had you not engaged in the first place. So if the negatives outweigh the positives, big deal. Because before you and your efforts, the whole ledger was negatives. Whatever positives you get are worth the effort. And so when I hear a story of Tupac and um, I've said this before on on previous shows, um, you know, counting, I have five former players that are dead and seven that are in jail for more than 20 years so far. And I have no doubt that that number will go up. Um, and it absolutely breaks my heart, especially, well, I mean, they all break my heart. And there's a couple I was really, really, really close with. Like you say, you went to Tupac's birthday party. Well, you, you haven't been to every kid in North Little Rock's birthday party. Tupac was one you took interest in, so he's close to you. And, and I have a couple of those, and one's dead and one's in jail for 20 years. And it, um, it kills me, and it makes me go home and look in the mirror and think, you know, did, did, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? What could I have done different? Um, and it makes you doubt that all the time you spent doing what you were doing was even valuable or not. And then you remember the positives. And you understand that anytime you do work in difficult areas, there's going to be negatives and you've got to be able to overcome them. you got to hang on the positives. And so when I hear you tell the story of Tupac, I identify with what that is and um but think of all the kids that are changed as a result of the effort of getting out of your car and building relationships and showing love it's uh it is a struggle and it is a price you pay for doing good work in communities but you know in my experience it was completely worth it what about yours uh, early in my career i wanted everyone to like me I wanted, I, as a police <laughs> Never going to happen. I did. If, if I remember one time I'm working security at a Kroger store in North Little Rock, and I went to give, I kept a stack of police stickers. Kids love police stickers. I went to give this little girl a police sticker, and her dad put his hand and blocked it. Like, 
my daughter doesn't want a police sticker. She was getting ready to, she was smiling, getting ready to take the sticker, but he pushed my hand away. He <clears> is <throat> teaching his daughter not to trust you. She walked away so confused. Um, it bothered me. It was, if anyone watched that, it was written all over my face. It, cause I was a people pleaser. Um, that, that was something. Can you imagine what happened in that man's life to have had that visceral of a reaction to you just trying to give his daughter a sticker? It, 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 God it, only knows his background. And Wouldn't you love to unpack oh, that? Oh, exactly. I would love to sit down with the dad. But I'm thinking, all I've done, or at least all I thought I've been doing, still wasn't enough. And I remember like it was yesterday. It happened in slow motion, and she walked away. And I know she had to be confused, but she's going to listen to her dad. She's not going to take that sticker, and he wasn't going to let it happen. And But also on the flip side of that, if you give a kid a police sticker, that could be a life changer. Because I remember giving a sticker to a kid, and a week later, his mom says he doesn't want to wash this hoodie he's wearing because that police sticker's on there. So you have other stores. <laughs> and the stickers wore off. I was we like, can give I've you another got sticker, kid. hundreds of stickers. You, you can have another one. Watch your clothes. <laughs> right. So then you have that story, which gives you hope. So right. as you mentioned, your former players in, in, in the Tupacs in my community, although you want to be able to reach them all, um, I love the the positive and the minuses that 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 you just uh, kind of use as an example, but and that gives me really that that gives me some more hope. I'm going to remember that. But after 25 years, I still have the same fire and passion that I did when I started in 1998. Put on a few pounds, don't run as fast, coach. But my heart <laughs> is never going to switch up. My heart is always going to be there for people. We'll be right back. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums 
to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tommy, so along the way of getting out of your car, building relationships, taking a step on the sidewalk, the grass, into the kitchen table, and going to birthday parties and taking kids to pizza and the thousands of other things that you've done, at, at some point you decided to start posting, I guess, interactions with kids, right? Yes. So from year one to year what did you decide, did you get comfortable enough that, hey, I'm going to start posting that I'm a cop and these kids, and we're building relationships, and I guess you did it initially. Well, when did you start doing it, and why did you do it initially? So we'll go back to my son, Mitchell, um, when he was uh, a teenager, he told me about Facebook, right? I wasn't into social media. Yeah. Um, Dad, you got to get It's always the kids that yes, teach us yes. old people This was when like Facebook that. was a thing. Now I think the, the uh, pinnacle is TikTok. But, Dad, get a Facebook. You know, it's pretty cool. So I do a little. How many years were you on the force this time? Uh, probably. So probably, I think Facebook started uh, around maybe, I was probably a 10-year officer. Okay. Yeah. So 10 years in. Mm-hmm. So for zero to 10 years, you're being right. Tommy Norman, the cop, doing all the things we're sitting there talking Right. About. And there, there was MySpace. I think there was a MySpace. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah MySpace. Sure, yeah. Sure. So, so anyway, around year 10, your kid says... You need to get Facebook. Right. So I get Facebook, take a picture, you know, profile picture. I connect with people, these high school friends that, hey, you know. Just like everybody. Yeah, it's really cool. Social media can can be a pretty positive uh, thing, and it could also be a curse. So let me say this. I didn't go into policing in 1998 expecting to, to, to have this platform that God, the man himself, blessed me with. No, that's the point. You were right. just getting Facebook. Exactly. And so... In 2014, Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson, Missouri. I stayed up all night watching that because I'm a police officer. I hate and it. And Ferguson is not that far from 
I mean, it's just one state up. Right, it is. Right. It just, feel, it feel, to people, I'm from Memphis, to people in our world, that feels awful close. It's really close. Like, I could get to you in two hours. We can get to Ferguson in about four or five. And so I stayed up all night watching the news coverage. It was horrible on both sides. What I, do you mean, as a cop? Well, I'm, I, I, I got to interrupt you on this one because I want to understand. You got as Tommy Norman... And then you got as cop because Tommy's a cop, but cop doesn't define Tommy. So as you're watching that, and I just heard you say it was awful on both sides. Tell me both sides. Well, because so many of us really still don't understand both sides. You've got the police, you've got the community, and then you have the media. Now, I'm no expert on any of this, but I, I know what I saw. I know that, you know, you see this guy that is leaving the convenience store. He has an encounter with a police officer. And after that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to judge what happened. But I know that community was hurting. That community was hurting. Um, the police department was hurting. I think, too, like you said, if more people knew the Mike Browns of their community as police officers. Does that happen? I, I don't know. I know that the chances would be better that it didn't happen. Okay, so I'm. I don't want to take sides on that. I'm, I'm a police officer. I'm not asking you to take I'm, sides. I'm but, asking you to present both sides. So you know, you've got you've got a, a more people have to know who the Mike Browns are. Their community are people that are in front of gas stations selling CDs or DVDs to raise to, to raise money for their family, to help feed you know the kids their next meal. I mean, you've got to. Yeah, there are, but there's also kids in front of convenience stores selling bags of wheat. Yes, exactly. There are. So you. So how do you differentiate between the kids selling a CDs burned, trying to make a living, and the kid breaking the law. I mean, or the kid or the young man or whatever. If I'm a cop and I roll up and I and it's dark and I see two people in front of a convenience store in a tough neighborhood exchange money for goods, I got to tell you, I'm thinking it's weak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, do, you, do you know their stories? Do you know? But if a, I don't do, know anything about them, exactly. they don't know so anything gonna about You're going to get me. out. You're going to investigate. But also as a police officer, it's how you talk to people, how you present yourself, right? You can't scream and yell at everyone, right? You walk up, hey, what's going on? You may have to search the person. Did you get a call about this person? What was this person doing? You know, it, it's a delicate, delicate topic when you talk about police officers and making arrests and and. and and, and policing communities of color, but the more stories that you know and the more people that you know, you're going to know their stories. You're going to know that, okay, this guy here has got a stack of DVDs or CDs that the convenience store owner called and, and wants him to move along. Do you go up there and you do you already know this guy? Hey, you, you need to move somewhere else and sell these. All right. Do you take him to jail? Not necessarily. You, you talk with him, have him move on. And if he's respectful and says, man, I'm just trying to hustle up some money you like, yeah, I get it, but bro, you're on private property. This man doesn't want you here. Just move on so we don't have a beef. Exactly. And then, and and then there you go. He moves it. on. And, and it, it could be you already knew the guy. Maybe you just met him. But I remember one of the sergeants, he's retired now. We were leaving briefing one day. And he said, hey, guys, just watch how you talk to people. Just be courteous. And, and, and what comes out of a police officer's mouth can be very, very powerful in a good way and a bad way. And people remember encounters with police officers for the rest of their life. So the, your badge should have a heartbeat and not an ego. Wow. Your badge should have a heartbeat, not an ego. Might as well. It rests right on top of the heartbeat. Right. I mean, 
and you don't you're not bigger you're not badder than anyone else you're you, just you, a dude that has a job you have this uniform that you wear as a requirement and you go through this training and you you do carry a lot of power i mean you can take people's freedom away right you take i remember i stopped a lady one day she was on her lunch break from from work and i pulled her over for speeding and she had a traffic ticket she hadn't paid from years past ma'am you got to go to jail and she was she was bawling and bawling and not because she was scared of me it's because i've got to go to jail yes you've got a warrant i've got to take you to jail and she was a successful businesswoman and you know we we parked her car there her husband came and picked it up but that experience for her traumatic it was and when we talked and you know and i saw her a few months after but my point is police officers you you do have an important job you have a powerful job so i'll go back to mike brown i'm watching that i wake up the next morning i had maybe bill maybe a thousand two thousand followers it jumped on facebook and instagram because i had both okay my biggest platforms now it jumped by the thousands what I realized is... Well, what'd is, you post? That uh, I didn't post anything. It was just people that were pissed oh. off at police officers. Finding that. Finding my work, and they would share it. And you had people with huge platforms that would share it. Um, Snoop Dogg, Chris Brown, the singer Monica. Uh, sharing your stuff? Sharing my stuff, the rapper, the game. Um, all these people that I don't even know, they're sharing my work. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, people are mad at police officers. Then the next time we had an incident, Eric Garner woke up the next morning. It's jumped to in the hundreds of thousands of followers. Why are people sharing it? Is it because they're trying to say all cops aren't bad? Here's an example of a good one. Or are they saying, you know, why, why in response to incidents like that, is your social media getting shared? Because to me, that's odd. Your, your first, uh, your first uh, answer was correct, is not all police officers are bad. Here so you're telling me a guy like Snoop Dogg, a black dude, who is a, a proud black dude, and I think he's from Watts or Compton, so he's from the streets. It's interesting to me that in the face of something like the Mike Brown thing, that he's retweeting stories about you. Is that his way of reminding people in his community, don't go crazy? There are all not bad. You see what I'm saying? I, I find I understand. it interesting because so many people would use their social media in that instance to attack the cops, not to highlight a good one. This It is says to me that they're actually in an odd way holding out hope that the world doesn't fall apart. We can have good cops. This is, I'm saying? this is what people wanted to see. When they would share my work, this is what they want to see. Right now, great police officers all over this land that do great work. But I feel like at that moment in time, and in 2015, CNN calls, and a rapper named Killer Mike from Atlanta. Um, he owns a, 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 a barbershops in the Atlanta area. And him and Bruce He's a Ball. rapper that owns barbershops in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah. And that's, Killer Mike. That's, and by not the way, because, that's hilarious. Not and because cool, he and I love kills that. people, because he kills the Mike. <laughs> I got it. Killer Mike. Killer I Mike. So our um, our public information officer called me. I uh, just gotten off work and said, CNN just called, and there's a rapper named Killer Mike that's friends with Brooke Baldwin. She used to be the afternoon news anchor on CNN. 
And this is in the midst of people are angry at police. They want to interview you about what you do. So the chief approved it. I go into a, a, a studio in Little Rock. It's a satellite interview, and I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And so, Had you ever done an interview? Not like that yeah. with a local TV station, but not for the world to see. Right. And and I'm nervous. And then Brooke Baldwin, you know, like, hey, Officer Norman, this is Brooke Baldwin. I mean, I'll, you know, I watched, I'm a news junkie. I watched the news. I knew who she was. And then there's Killer Mike and Officer Norman, you know, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for people to trust police officers and in this disengagement to to hopefully move away? And, and just the answers I've been giving you today, it's it's that's all I know is to get out and talk to people and love people, get to know people. The first time you get sent to someone's house shouldn't be when someone's broken in. You should already know that family. You can't meet every and know every family in your community, but you should Work try your around. best. Exactly. So it just, you know, my work through God's path, it really lit a fire underneath a lot of people to go out and make change. Other officers, there's an officer named Jason Lehman from Long Beach, California. He's retired now and he teaches classes, but he traveled all the way here to do a ride along with me from Long Beach, California. Um, he wanted to see it. Yeah, he rode with me. And then I returned the favor and I went up to Long Beach and rode with him. So you've got officers hundreds of miles away on different parts of the West Coast, down South. That's gotta and, be the, the real icing on the cake for you. It's it's is if you could not only help change the community of North Little Rock, but what if you can help change community policing nationwide? And and I think with social media and just my by me being not just Officer Norman, uh, I much rather prefer being called Tommy than Officer Norman because I want people to know Tommy before they know Officer Norman. So it's a little difficult to answer your question as far as the followers, millions well, of people now. It's just, it's... Well, so, well, I'm just trying to timeline it. So from zero to 10 years, you didn't know anything about Facebook. No. Then you got Facebook. Then that stuff started happening. And then media personalities found you and started retweeting you. And then so your your platform blew up. Which it was is, like a perfect storm. In I mean, way. how many followers do you have now? Uh, Facebook is 2.2 million and Instagram is a million. But that's incredible. But the point is now what those 2.3 million, million people are seeing absent another massive police blow up is you just interacting with kids on the street. In North Little Rock, Arkansas. Right. I didn't leave and go to that's work. It's beautiful. And you didn't go and take it and go somewhere else. You're back in North Little Rock getting out of your car. Walking the beat, being consistent, and showing you're not a turkey person, and you're still showing films of kids running up to your police and car. These these are for the people that follow me, you know. But these are just I use social media as a teaching tool for anyone that's an advocate for humanity. If a police officer sees my videos and he wants to to go out and do what he's doing, or maybe a lady that's a a businesswoman and she wants to help after she gets off work. My, I know after talking to God that my social media is a free teaching tool for people to get on. And, and because it's but on the flip side of that bill is I shouldn't be asked to travel to Orlando, Florida, to speak about being nice. That shouldn't be happening. <laughs> right. That's all. I, I, I don't I don't have a PowerPoint. I don't have. It's all all God always delivered my be word. Nice. That's it. We'd want, like you to come in here and tell us how to be nice. I mean, but I know that because the golden of, rule. How about that? Right. The golden rule. But because of social media, 
in the way media will portray you. I'm not saying that if me and you, and we've been together for a few hours, but if me and you sit down and have coffee, I would probably fall much more in love with you and you'd fall much more in love with me because I'm so honored to be here. But social media is just Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Okay, I mean, you, you know, so come to Orlando, talk to uh, talk at our conference of first responders and tell us your story. So my story, the majority of my story is I've just been nice to people. And in 1998, I started being nice to people wearing a uniform. Which is so beautifully simple. It's simple, but I, I, I would always ask my mom, mom, and it's a huge honor. Because before, before social media blew up, I would speak to kindergartners about gun safety or 90-year-old women not to leave your purse and your buggy at Walmart and turn your back. And then when the Mike Brown and the CNN, I got asked to speak the first time outside the city of North Little Rock was the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. Go Hogs, Woo Pig. I spoke to their their college there. And <laughs> Go and Hogs. <laughs> Go Hogs, Woo Pig. Woo Pig. A shameless coach plug. coach knows that. Yeah. Anyway, um and 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 then Orlando and Houston and Dallas and New York and all these places and these people are calling me and I would I would I would go speak and I would fly back in on a Saturday night and had to be at work the next morning. I was exhausting myself, but I felt like if people want to hear what I have to say, even though I'm just telling you how to be nice to people <laughs> and go talk to people that don't look like you and go on some front yards and front porches, everything I've told you today is that's it. But if that's what God wants, and if that what if that's if that's what it takes to light a fire in different communities across the world, then fly me in. I'm going to light this fire. And when I leave, I hope you can use my example. And that's it. That's it. That's, that's the thing about it. It's just so beautifully simple. So, um, when you woke up after the the second police incident, where the the numbers on your social media just continue to climb. I mean, were you like, "Wow, what that?" I mean, you, I guess I if if I did a post and and came back and all of a sudden there was like twenty thousand people viewing it or whatever, I'd be like, "I mean, you had to have been shocked." I guess is what I'm asking. It it I was shocked, and that wasn't me. I was out of my element because I didn't go into policing to have millions of followers. But it's. <laughs> You know, it's guess that never even died. You didn't even know what it was. No, there wasn't. It wasn't in '98. There wasn't social media. And you, you know so, what's interesting about that is I get asked about Undefeated, the movie. But what people don't understand is I was that that happened the last year I was at Manassas. I coached at Manassas seven years before all that. I didn't go into coaching because some. Tommy, the three dudes wearing skinny-legged jeans and wearing scarfs when it was hot. I mean, these people from L.A. don't – I mean, they showed up with two-barred cameras and said they're going to make a movie. I mean, I, I didn't go into coaching for that. It just happened. You didn't go into policing for that. It just happened. Um, and I'm going to tell you, you've invoked your faith a lot. And – um. When my situation happened, I talked with Lisa about it, and we were like, okay, God's blessed us with this notoriety now. Um, what do we do with it? And the idea was 
we can do stuff like this and and have conversations about stuff that matters. Um, but it never really defined me, and it still doesn't. And I guess what I'm asking you is, did you have to pinch yourself a little bit? Did you also have to check yourself a little bit? Because two and a half million followers, you probably, I, I mean, I walk in restaurants and stuff all the time where people recognize me and it's humbling and everything else. I mean, you have to get that, especially at home. You got to be a little bit of a rock star. I mean, how do you handle it? You have to eat a few pieces of humble pie. Right. Um, Agreed. I, I've, I've had to check myself a few times, but my mom taught us early on in life, never get too big for your britches. And um, don't forget where you came don't from. Don't forget where you came from. And... You know, me being humble hasn't been an issue. And when we go out to places and people may walk up and say, oh, Officer Norman, you're famous. Guess what my wife says? No, uh, he still takes out the trash. Oh, you know what's funny that you say that? Because you know what my wife says? He still can't remember to put the lid down. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm just a dude that, you know, I mean, right. she ain't that impressed. Right. I'm telling right. you. I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, is that... I really respect how you've handled the notoriety you've gotten. I've worked hard to do the same thing and that that's not what's going to happen for most people. Um, we need to fix our culture one person at a time, getting out and getting involved and, and working to make things better. Not because maybe we're going to get 2 million followers or a movie just because it's the right thing to do. And you and I both, we're engaged in this a long time before the notoriety ever came along. We never did it for that. And, you know, hey, if you're lucky and something like that strikes, great. Use it to do more good work, but don't do it for that. And if that happens, it can't change your focus. And if you don't do it for that, God's going to make sure that, that he does it for you. But I will add this, that I feel like during your time at Manassas and then, and then the movie Undefeated, the world needed you and needed that story. And I feel like with my story and police officers and communities of color and, and, and the disengagement, the world, needs to know the world needed it then and still needs it now. And The world needs to know that, that genuine kindness and hard work and, and humility and the basic fundamentals and tenets of the golden rule and just decency still work. Yes, and you are emblematic of of that fact. It's it's not difficult, and I'm so thankful my mom brought me up just to be kind to people. I mean, it literally can change the world. Amazing. Usually, I got a couple more questions. They're okay with you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He always does this. <laughs> I think we covered a lot. We did. Man, that was over two hours. No kidding. I love to give our producer Alex a hard time, primarily because he spends hours giving me a hard time. But there are important topics we still need to cover. In case you happen to think that this story was only sunshine and rainbows, it's not. And some of it is gut-wrenching. Um, we all face crosses in our lives and Tommy has faced some especially trying ones. In part three, we'll hear from him about his struggles, and how he's persevered to continue to love others, even when he's dying on the inside himself. I really am in awe of his example, and I just, I just believe you will be too. One thing, however, that maybe isn't awe-inspiring is my knowledge and use of social media. Alex gave me a hard time 
and pointed out that you can't retweet something on Facebook or Instagram, as I was saying. That's apparently not a thing, and you can only retweet on Twitter. I, I don't really know, and I don't really care. I'm busy running a lumber company and coaching football, so I'm not really sorry about it, but I guess whatever. It's what Alex does, and it's not what I do. I'll see you guys in part three. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse... I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.